0: On this episode of Drive with Woody Fit, I'm doing it solo again. Hey, it's your host, Nate Woods, and I am here with nobody. It is just me, myself, and I. Um, On this episode, I talk about kids and sports. Um, Kind of, is it better to throw them in one sport and get them really good at that, or is it better to let them have a broad range of skills and do different sports year-round? We'll see. Um, I also talk about inflammation and oil, Uh, how sunflower seed oil may be causing inflammation in the body and what is actually going on with that and how to avoid it. Then I also answer some questions. Is sugar alcohol better than sugar? Um, I didn't even know what sugar alcohol was going into this episode. So this was a lot of cool research that I did. Um, Josh asked, what is something good to help me gain weight but easy for while I'm at work? Michael asks, what are the pros and cons of intermittent fasting? This is a good one because it may or may not be for you whether or not you have a good relationship with food or not. Brian asks, is it bad to do two-a-day workouts? You may be surprised by my answer on this one. And Shelby says, how do you work through a plateau? Now, all of the studies that I found will be available on the show notes for this episode, which you can find at executivefitllc.com woodyfit and if you'd like to take advantage to the free workouts and programs we have available head over to executivefitllc.com click on the menu button and click on the option guides Um, there you can download two of the guides that we have available absolutely free i don't even want your email just download the guide and have fun with it Um, the first one is the basic training program which is a very basic exercise program for the beginner for somebody who is just starting out now Um, The more I'm learning, the more I am improving. So I'm going to be revamping this program soon, which if you've got it, you'll have to get it again. Sorry, Um, because it's not going to automatically update. Then there's another one called the Arm 240 Bravo workout, which is the best workout to build machine guns for arms instead of the tiny little water pistols that you have. Anyway, let's get into this episode of Drive with Woody Fit. I'm going to kick this episode off with... Um, a little story um not really story it's a conversation that me and my wife had uh this past weekend we were in the car driving down to my family's house and of course it's a it's a good 40 45 minute drive so the kids fell asleep and while we were driving we were we're talking about um you know our childhood in terms of sports and what we did what we were into and you know she comes from a little bit of a different background than i do because she was very heavily involved in um the array of sports you know from through middle school and high school and i was not so much i was not a sports kind of guy i never um got into i mean i played intramural soccer intramural lacrosse um I played a little bit of basketball in middle school, but then once I hit high school, pretty much all of my sports playing came to an end, and I was more interested in the um, action sports world, you know, uh, BMX, skateboarding, um, rollerblading, skateboarding, uh, that whole that whole scene, pretty much everything, I had an appreciation for almost all of the uh, action sports. And I tried to do as much of those as I could, and um, my mom pretty much let that fly in terms of my exercise, Um, but she wanted all of us kids, she did a pretty good job of keeping us, you know, healthy and fit, because she wanted all of us kids to be in a sport, and when I got to high school, I kind of, you you know, of course you go through that rebellious stage when you get to high school, and most people go through that phase and so she pretty much let me do what i wanted in terms of um fitness you know she didn't push me doing a sport she just kind of let me because i was interested in the um action sports kind of world she just kind of let me do my thing in that and uh you know i would go out and skate all the time and ride bikes and we i got into mountain biking for a short period so I was always active, but my wife comes from a very different background. She was very heavily involved and played um, volleyball through high school and into college. So, you know, we're kind of going back and forth about what we want to do with our kids when we bring them up. And, you know, are we going to push them to play sports or are we going to just let them do their thing? And, um, you know, my my approach to it is is going to be more of an educational um, type approach. So you know I had no real education as a kid in terms of you know what what happens to your body when you eat a lot of sugar. Um, I had no real um, knowledge like I knew it wasn't good for me but like I had a sweet tooth and I just you know, part of it was like I didn't care but part of it was just the education. I was never really taught like what what actually happens in the body. Um, you know, when you consume various foods, and when you eat a certain way, what you know, what is happening, long term effects, and whatnot. So, and part of that was just because my mom didn't know, right? She didn't necessarily know because she didn't study it. So, um, going forward, having a kid, you know, multiple children, I should say, um, that's something that I'm gonna take a little bit of a different approach to. And I've already started that with my daughter. You know, she's going to be 4. She'll be 4 in a few months, and she already has the concept down of when you eat food, it goes down your throat into your stomach, and then the food gets broken down and goes into your blood and nourishes your body and it feeds your body. She already has that concept down pretty much and can explain that back to me in terms of what happens when you eat food. And I'm also trying to make her more aware of her body, so you know, for example, just today she came up to me and she was like, "Dad, this moves when I swallow," and she had her finger on her throat. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's your esophagus, and the food goes down the, the you know, goes down your throat, and it moves to pull the food down." So just kind of reinforcing that positive um, behavior of being in touch with your body and and you know your skin and. You know, just knowing and kind of, and, and learning. And so, um, to kind of get back on track in terms of, you know, I didn't mean to turn this into a parenting thing, but um, the, my long-term plan with with the kids is getting them involved in multiple sports, not just sports specific. Because, you know, when you look at professional athletes, especially football, let's say, let's let's look at professional football athletes. They peak very young. Right, they, they peak at their skill very young, and then the body starts to break down because they're putting a tremendous amount of stress on the body doing the same types of movements, the same repetitive movements. So, uh, in terms of of that, you know, make having them do constant repetitive movements, that's not a good thing. You you can look at any any professional athlete, and you'll see a very quick drop off you know, when you're looking at the health and longevity aspect of things. So focusing on one sport is not necessarily the best for long term, you know, uh, uh, sustainability. Now, as kids, I'm going to, I'm going to push them to, um, to play sports and to do something athletic, whether it be organized sports, or, um, you know, an action sports, like skateboarding, or whatever, but they've got to do something active. That's like going to be my rule you got to do something active and I'm not gonna you know if my son is like I want to get really good at playing Call of Duty you know I'm not gonna like put that down and put put you know fitness over that but it does need to stay in my opinion it does need to stay as a part of their life and I think it's important when you have kids to get them active and get them involved in different sports but not just one sport Now, I really don't believe in pushing your kid to play one sport constantly like season over season over season. they're constantly playing uh, one sport. And unfortunately I was hoping to get Megan on this podcast because I wanted to talk about this with with her because I fully believe I don't know if any of you listeners have been paying attention. I'm sure she's talked about her issues with her knee on the podcast before and she has patellar tendonitis. So the tendon that attaches to the patella is in, inflamed. Um, and it's most likely caused from all the soccer she played, and it's on her dominant her dominant leg, which, of course, makes total sense. But if you look at her history, you know, she pretty much only played soccer from the time she um, started playing organized sports through college. And all of that chronic, basically, like, constant lower body work, season over season, and never really taking a season off because she wouldn't just play during the school season, then she would play travel soccer or just an organized league, whether it was serious or not, she would get she would get into another league outside of, you know, the regular soccer season. So she was playing soccer year round. And that constant repetitiveness of playing soccer all the time is... Um, not is not a good thing and I, she's just a testament to to that that you know you're more you are much more likely to injure yourself if you play a sport year-round versus seasonally doing it so um, that's just kind of my tidbit if any of you guys have kids is getting them involved in different sports seasonally and then maybe even taking a season off and focusing on something else to, to get them active or even playing sports four seasons in a row and, and just you know sticking sticking with that. But um, man, this week has been this week, it, this weekend was a lot. I'm currently recurring the, uh, recurring. I'm recording this uh, Sunday night and we had some big plans. We, ha- we had a good interview lined up, which we did have to push back to this week. Hopefully it'll happen Wednesday this week so the episode should be released Thursday or Friday sometime uh this upcoming week but um unfortunately then we couldn't get we couldn't get our shit together to get everybody together to do an episode so i'm here now and you're here with me solo so i'm glad that we could have this intimate one-on-one conversation kind of it's a one one-sided conversation you can just listen maybe you're chuckling right now but um yeah they'll be back Megan and Michael should be back this week it's so difficult it really is difficult to get everybody together uh especially given with school and everything you know Megan and Michael are still in school they're finishing up college now so they've got a lot on their plate um Megan landed a sweet job at OTF and so she's killing it there so you know it's it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see what the next what the next year or so holds um for the types of episodes that are going to be that we'll be putting out but um, it should be it should be a lot of fun. I think every I know everybody is really excited to uh, to continue moving forward. But anyway, I'm gonna stop rambling and get into this episode. Um, so I read an article this week. It's uh, the shocking truth about sunflower oil. Now, this is kind of a topic that, um, I mean, I myself am not an expert on, but a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know what is. A good oil to cook with, and what is not a good oil. Um, and for example, my number one oil to avoid is canola oil, because it's very inflammatory, and it's really all the corn oils. But canola oil, I see most common, um, you know, in in households and in, in restaurants. And I'm not, I, I'm I'm going to tell this story, and I'm not putting anybody down for this, because you know, of course, if you don't know, you don't know, and I hope that we can educate here. But I had gone to a family member's house. I'm not going to say who it was. Um, and this person made chicken cutlets for everyone. Breaded chicken cutlets. So good. She she always does whenever she... I always like eating her chicken cutlets because they're just amazing. And I, I normally don't prep chicken cutlets for myself. So um, it, it was a real treat this time. And this was this was a while ago. Maybe a few months ago even at this point. But, um, you know, so we sit down to eat and I'm in the midst of eating this chicken cutlet and I'm like, Hey, what did you, uh, what did you cook? What kind of oil did you use to cook this? And this is really good. And she's like, Oh, I used canola oil. And I just, my heart just dropped like, Oh, I avoid canola oil so well. And now I'm eating it. And you know, I, I just, I don't like to eat foods that I know cause problems in my body. Um, oatmeal, for example, I've had a couple issues with eating oatmeal recently. Um, I haven't gotten a food sensitivity test, but it is it is on my to-do list of things to do. but um, you know I've I've noticed that I there was one day where I had a rash right after eating oatmeal on my neck. It was very weird. it was it was a little out of the ordinary. And, um, you know, the, I don't necessarily feel the greatest when I eat oatmeal. Um, it, it feels very heavy on my stomach and just really sits there kind of like a knot. Um, and I just, you know, I, I've found that I can get the amount of carbohydrates that I need per meal from other sources. So I've eliminated it and things are going well now that I've eliminated it. But anyway, getting back to this, um, getting back to this article, The Shocking Truth About Sunflower Oil. Basically, um, what this article goes into is uh, EFAs, right? So EFAs are essential fatty acids, um, and they're a type of fat in the body that are needed for important functions, and they cannot be synthesized, right? So it's essential that you consume them, just like essential amino acids. You know, there's different amino acids. There's um, non-essential amino acids and essential amino acids. The non-essential amino acids your body can produce. Your body can basically take carbon atoms and put them together in a certain way to create an amino acid. But it can't do it with all the amino acids. That's why there's our, there are essential amino acids because you have to consume them. Same thing with these essential fatty acids. Our bodies cannot create these essential fatty acids, so we need to consume these... Um, these two types that I'm going to talk about, we need to consume them. Now, there's two types of uh, essential fatty acids that it refers to in the article. Alpha-linolenic acid, or ALA, and linolenic acid, or LA. Now, ALA is an omega-3 type of fatty acid. Um, it's found in fish, nuts, seeds, uh, sea vegetables, and algae. And it's not very common in our Americanized Western diet, which... You know, if you just think about those foods, how often do you eat those foods on a daily basis? You know, unless you have purposely incorporated them into your diet, chances are you're not eating a lot of of those foods. So um, the second kind, linolenic acid, or LA, is an omega-6 type of fatty acid. And that's found in meats, vegetable oils, and processed foods. And it is much more common in the Western diet. Now, they say that the optimum ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 acids for optimum health is one-to-one. One. Now, we should be eating equal types of each oil. And this, of course, can be difficult in our society when our diet is heavy on omega-6 type oils. So most of us are already not, not doing this. Now, high, when you have this imbalance between omega-6 and omega-3, and you have much more omega-6 in the body, it will increase inflammation, which thus can lead to, um, you know, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. If you are genetically predisposed to have rheumatoid arthritis, just having, like, if you could say chronically elevated levels of inflammation in the body can lead to seeing rheumatoid arthritis conditions, as well as other um health issues that you know you of course don't want so um, and that basically is the concept of the plant paradox I haven't talked about that book in a while but that book was a game changer especially for my mom Uh, just eye-opening to what what is causing inflammation in the body and and you know taking this fact into account to level out omega-6 and omega-3 consumption to bump up your omega-3 consumption that's part of how the plant paradox works. Is you know, with the foods that you're allowed to eat, you're basically eating much more omega threes than you're allowed to eat of omega six fats. So, just leveling out those two numbers can help with decreasing inflammation. Now, inflammation can also hinder a lot of things. It can it can uh, prevent muscle growth. It can mess with your gut. You know, if your if your gut health is not on par, is not you know where it needs to be. Then you could have trouble building muscle and building strength. Um, so anyway, sunflower seed oil is a very common um, omega six oil that we see. You know, uh, it has the linolenic acid, and it's it's used for frying, fast food prep, and processed foods. And like I said, it's very high in omega six fatty acids. Um, so. All right, then this article goes into what you should be consuming instead of the omega-6 fatty acids. And they talk about fish oil, hemp seed oil, flax oil, walnut oil, and these are all super high in omega-3s. But because of that, they can be easily damaged from heat, oxygen, and light. So you don't want to cook with them. You don't want to leave them open. And you want to leave them in the refrigerator in a dark glass bottle so it stays away from the sunlight. Um, You basically... Like I said, you don't use them for cooking. You could just put them on salads, or you could put them in smoothies. Now, this is something that you would just kind of take this almost in a supplement type fashion. Like if you know you're gonna uh, make smoothies in the morning, you could put a tablespoon of walnut oil in your smoothie just to get your um, just to get those omega three fats. But you know, if you know that you know you you don't. Have a shake, maybe you have a salad, like just drizzle some on your salad, I guess. Any way that you can get these into your body, you want to get them into your body. Now, this article did not mention olive oil, but I've heard from pretty reputable sources that if that basically then this is not verbatim, but this person said, take olive oil and if you can put it on anything, put it on anything, because the best thing that you can do is just consume olive oil. So I actually do all of my cooking with olive oil. Um, I was just frying up some vegetables today and just put a little bit of olive oil in the pan, fry them up. Oh, so good. Um, but I will link to this article in the show notes for this episode. Um, all the show notes for this episode can be found at executivefitllc.com slash woodyfit. Um, that's the company's website, executivefitllc.com woodyfit. There will be a link there for all the podcast show notes. You can click on it. You can see all the podcast show notes. I am working on getting that a little bit more organized in terms of, you know, I'm kind of imagining a better way to do it would be a list with the links and the names of the episodes instead of the way it is now. But um, also, if we do not mention show notes, there won't be show notes for that episode because some episodes we just talk and we don't necessarily bring up articles and whatnot and I don't write a blog for it. So unless we talk about there being show notes and saying you can find that in the show notes, there's no show notes for that episode. And as we go on, we'll um, we'll continue to um, make show notes for each episode and and um, you know make sure that there's a little bit more in depth stuff uh, for you to go to and see if you'd like to see. All right, let's get into today's questions. So the first question is from Dan: Is sugar alcohol better than sugar this this was a great question that dan asked me and um i didn't have the answer for it because i didn't know and quite frankly what you'll see is you'll see on some ingredients labels you'll see you know on the nutrition facts it'll say sugar like three grams but then beneath it it'll say sugar alcohol six grams and so dan's question was like well what the fuck is going on here like am i getting nine grams of sugar or am i like What is it? You know, what's happening? So I said, Dan, I'm going to look into it and get back to you. So here's what I found. Sugar alcohol is a category of sweet carbohydrates. It's basically a hybrid of sugar and alcohol molecules. But the caveat here is that it doesn't contain ethanol. And ethanol is what what is in alcohol that gets you drunk. Sorry, you can't just go eat a bunch of sugar alcohol and get tipsy. It's naturally found in fruits and vegetables, and most of it most of it is in is in processed foods, which is what you'll see these uh, sugar alcohol ingredients on. Is foods that are supposed to be um, not low not necessarily low calorie, but marketed to the types of people who pay attention to um, what they put in their body and are more health conscious, right? Or or diabetic snacks you could say Um, but they have a similar chemical structure as sugar which activates the sweet receptors on your tongue Um, they do contain calories but they do but they have less calories than sugar now some of the names of these you might be familiar with because once i read them i was like oh i know what that is so the first one these are the main ones i'm sure there's a bunch of other ones but these are the four major Um, sugar alcohols, I guess we could say, that's used in processed foods. First is xylitol, X-Y-L-I-T-O-L, xylitol. This one is the most common one, actually, and it's a well-researched sugar alcohol, and you can find it in sugar-free chewing gums, mints, and oral care products. Now, this one can cause some digestive symptoms when consumed in large amounts. So, I guess if you chew an entire pack of gum. I don't know. I'm not even sure how much xylitol that would contain. Um, but it, it can cause some digestive symptoms, which I mean shit. like too much too much of anything can cause some like, digestive symptoms. so you know, let's keep that in the back of your head. The next one is erythritol. and this was this is created by fermenting glucose in cornstarch and it has 70% of the sweetness of sugar but only 5% of the calories. Sounds like a pretty good trade-off right there to me. Um, It does not reach the large intestine in large amounts. Uh, Most of it is absorbed into the bloodstream and then excreted in urine unchanged. So it it activates the sweet receptors to tell your brain, like, this is sweet. And then once it gets into your system, it goes into your bloodstream and then out out your urine. I almost said something else there. Out your urine and... It's still the same chemical as when it went in, so to me that's a little bit disconcerting. I guess you could say, um, you know, I, I'm not a hundred percent on how I feel about something that goes in and does not be is not changed. Um, I guess the argument you could pose is if it doesn't change, it can't be doing much harm to the body. I don't know, um, and then the last one is malitol and this is processed from sugar maltose and it has the highest impact on blood sugar of all of them Um, it has 90 percent of the sweetness of sugar with only half the calories now products that contain it claim to be sugar-free but it it can still cause blood sugar spikes so there is a side effect to that you do want to you know if you're diabetic and i mean if you're diabetic you're probably better than i am at checking how much sugar is in stuff but anyway um so my question was what are the effects of long-term use you know how do we how do we know what's going to happen if we just continue to consume these over the course of 5 10 20 years instead of real sugar you know we know the effects of real sugar chronic consumption over 5 10 20 years but what are the effects of these fake sugars basically these sugar alcohols what's that going to do to the body and it turns out that one of the um a common side effect, of course, among all of them, is digestive issues. So there, we have that. It, it does something to your gut. And I can imagine it does something to the gut bacteria, too, because it's alcohol. It's a sugar alcohol. It's, you know, so it may or may not interact with the gut bacteria in a negative way. So we do want to keep that in mind. Now, one study did show that the amount needed to cause diarrhea was so high that it does not cause concern which I guess to me basically means that you'd have to consume an ass ton of it for your ass to explode. Um, Long-term studies have been unable to show any delayed or acute reactions and suggest that modern consumption of sugar alcohols is not harmful to the human metabolism. Now, we'll see as time goes on. We'll, you know, of course... I'm, new studies will come out every day, but this one study that I found was published on PubMed. I really love PubMed. And uh, so I will link to this, the original uh, article, which is at healthline.com, and also the PubMed study that I found um, referencing these studies um, on how they affect the body. All right. Josh says, what is something good to help me gain weight but easy for while I'm at work? All right. Listen, um, so a bulking question. If you have the funds, buy food. Buy food out. You know, if you're looking to put on weight, if you're if you're looking to bulk, and if you're looking for something that's easy, then chances are you're not really looking for uh the best healthiest option. Uh so what I would say and if that's not the case then Send me another message, Josh, and we'll, we'll change this question. But, uh, you know, in terms of something that's just good to help you gain weight but easy for while you're at work, order food out and eat it throughout the day. I mean, one of my favorite cheat meals is I've coined it the um, bake, burger bacon cheese fries, but it's basically ultimate cheese fries from a local deli, which is uh, cheese fries with bacon, and then I take taco meat, and heat that up, and I put taco meat in it. So it's, um, you know, ground beef, bacon, cheese, and fries. And it's absolutely slamming. Is that healthy for me? Absolutely not. Those fries are probably fried in canola oil, to be quite frank with you. But I don't do that all the time. I rarely do that, and that's something that I treat myself to every now and then. So, um, you know, but if I had the funds to, and I wasn't really super concerned with Am I eating something, am I eating an oil that's causing inflammation, or am I, you know, eating something that may or may not be the best thing for me? Hell yeah, I would be buying food, and I would just, I would be buying all of my meals out. I wouldn't be meal prepping. I mean, shit, tonight I spent, I think I spent two hours in the kitchen, and I had the burner constantly going to meal prep for the week. Is it fun? No, no, it's not fun at all, but I'm training for a goal that For me to meet this goal requires me to eat a certain amount of calories per day so that I can continue to build my strength through this process. And if I don't do that, I'm not going to continue to build my strength. So what I need to do is make sure that I'm set up. I set myself up for success for the week and so that when I go into this week, I don't really have to think about making food. I can just grab it out of the fridge and go because that's how my Monday through Fridays are. I'm grab and go. Um... But any some something like I'm I'm totally avoiding answering you and giving you a quality thing a quality piece of food to eat. Um, I mean ground beef has a lot of calories, so if you're not gonna buy your own food out, ground beef might be the way to go. Uh, Beef jerky is also great. It's easy while you're at work. Um, You know, but stuff stuff with higher cal. If you're in a situation. And I'm assuming that you need it to be easy because you're busy at work. And if that's the case, then processed foods and hyperpalatable foods might be the route that you want to take because they're going to make you think that you're still hungry, that you want to eat more when you're really not because they're hyperpalatable and because they've been engineered to interact a certain way with your brain. They've been They've been engineered to send a certain signal to your brain when you eat them because they're so sweet or they're so... Savory, or they're so salty that it sends a, a message to your brain that like, fuck, this is so good. We need to eat more. I need to get more of this. So, uh, honestly, if you're not concerned about health and you're concerned about putting on weight, I would choose foods that are hyper palatable and, um, and high in calories. So, and this is going to sound terrible coming from me, but like, um, What are they called? Uh, Hot Pockets. Fucking terrible for you. But I know that when I've eaten Hot Pockets in the past, I'm hungry in 30 minutes. And it's not because it wasn't enough food. I might eat four of those fuckers, but I'm still hungry in 30 minutes. It's because it's highly processed and highly palatable. And I think I'm still hungry because it was so fucking good. So I would consider something like that. Just something that's easy. You can pop in the microwave Heat it up real quick. It's, it's a frozen food. I mean, shit, If you even if you work 10-hour days and you bring something that's frozen with you in the morning and you don't even put it in the fridge, it'll stay fine until it's time to eat it or put it in a fucking cooler. Coolers are not expensive. All right, Michael asks, what are the pros and cons of intermittent fasting? I'm considering it and would like some more info. So I didn't prep at all before any of these questions, by the way. So this is just like... Totally off the cuff um, Pros of intermittent fasting um, You spend less on food Because you're not eating for 16 hours Out of the day So there's a fucking pro right there You're going to have a bigger bank account um, Number two It teaches you a little bit more discipline it teaches you how to deal with hunger That's important Because uh, it, it'll help you learn to control Your emotions a little bit Learn to control your cravings um, And let me think. Is there any other pro? I mean, it it works. The shit works. Like so. That was that's my choice for this cut. So basically, um, I'm not in a cut, but I need to make weight by the end of February. Uh, so I'm I've been up at 159, 159 pounds at the end of the day, pretty consistently the past two or three weeks, and I need to be under 148 come February 23rd. Now. My choice of, um, how should I say it, weight loss, we could say, we'll just say general weight loss, is intermittent fasting. Because my body, I know my body will respond very well to that. So what I've been doing is on my rest days, only on my rest days, um, I will fast for 15 or 16 hours, and then I will pick up eating when I would normally be eating in that day so for example if I miss two meals because I was intermittent fasting I don't try and fit those two meals in my eight-hour window I just eat at the times that I've scheduled to eat in my eight-hour window so let's take that for example um, normally on my rest days I'm done my fast at 10 p.m or 10 a.m 10 a.m I'm done fasting 10 10:30 depends on dinner So I will eat it at 10 when I'm done fasting. I'll eat at 12.30, and then I'll eat at 2.30, and then I will finish my day at work, go home, work out, have my post-workout stuff, and eat my last meal by 7 o'clock. Okay. Now, I then will fast from 7 o'clock until 10 a.m. the next morning. But if I don't fast until 10 a.m., then I'm eating two meals. I'm eating a meal when I wake up and a meal before 10 o'clock. So I'm skipping out on two meals, basically, but I'm not trying to take those two meals and fit them into my eight hours into, you know, the rest of my eating. So there's a pro. There's a pro from it. It's you don't have to um, you don't have to force feed yourself but you can. It depends on what you're doing. Chances are if you're looking at intermittent fasting, you're not really looking at bulking and getting massive and putting on size. So it's not really a bad it's not a bad choice to do it, honestly. If you know, it, and it's not for everybody. I'm not saying that everybody can or should do it. Intermittent fasting is not for anybody. And here's one of the cons of it and probably one of the biggest cons that I see is if you have a bad relationship with food, Starving yourself because that's kind of what you're doing when you fast. Starving yourself is not a good idea, because the cravings are intense. Uh, once you come up to the end of that, of that fast, you're just all you can think about is food. And if all you can think about is food and you can't control what you eat, then chances are you're not going to stick to the plan and you're just going to binge. And I mean, what is binging and binging and starving like? you eat a shit ton of food and then you starve yourself because you feel guilty for eating all that food and then you binge again and then you starve again. Well, that's kind of what intermittent fasting is, but you need to have a healthy relationship with food before you just start going and feeding yourself in 8 hours and then starving yourself for 16. You know, if you don't view food as fuel and like really truly deep down see it as fuel... Then intermittent fasting may not be a good idea for you. It may work for you. It may cause your body to respond, but the mental aspect of it, the physiological side of things, that's gonna happen when you start fasting, may not be something you want to get wet. You want to get, you know, your your feet wet with just yet, until you improve your um, your relationship with food. So honestly, that's what that's what I would say is the biggest con is uh, the fact that if you don't have a good relationship with food you might want to stay away from uh, intermittent fasting. Brian asks, Is it bad to do two-a-day workouts? No. Just make sure that uh, your everything else is on par. So uh, there's something that prevents me from saying anybody should do uh, two-a-day workouts because there's there's all these different aspects of fitness, right? So you have your training, you have your diet, you have your recovery and uh, you have your what's it? Oh, supplementation, okay? Training, diet, recovery, supplementation. If you're looking at adding two-a-day workouts, you're really trying to hammer down on training. But before you start to hammer down on training, you need to know that you're able to uh, recover, okay? So if you're not doing everything to improve your recovery, you might as well... Not do two a day workouts, and most of the time, the reason people do two a day workouts is because maybe they want to see progress faster. They're not seeing it as fast as they want, or maybe maybe they're just maybe you're just bored, Brian. I don't know what your situation is, but um, you know, you want to make sure that you're doing everything in your power, sleep wise, to get the best sleep that you can. And I think possibly focusing, if you're not focusing your energy on improving your sleep, might be a better idea than doing. Than trying to fit in another workout. Uh, your nutrition: Are you eating as best you can per your goal? Now I say per your goal because somebody who's training for health and wellness and longevity is going to be training a lot differently than somebody who is training to, you know, be an amateur bodybuilder. So is your diet, Does your diet align with your goals? And are you actually sticking to it? or are you kind of shamming on yourself and saying you're sticking to it, but really not? Um, and then supplementation. are you are I mean, and this is kind of because people get like weird when we talk about supplements, but are you taking everything you could to optimize your recovery and your performance? Um, you know, and I'm not saying go take everything under the sun, but have you tried different supplements? Have you experimented with different supplements to see if and how they work and how they cause your body to respond? So um, I would say focus on those three areas first. Um, diet, sleep and supplementation. Make sure that you are dialing down on everything before you throw in two-a-day workouts um no to, to answer your question generally no it's not bad to throw in two-a-day workouts but i would say my first suggestion would be make sure everything else is on par before you start kind of wasting your time training even more all right shelby asks how do you work through a plateau Ooh, this is a good one this is a good one because when i first started i struggled with this and um yeah, let's get into it. So first things first, um, look at how you're training. So uh, most of the time, there there hasn't really been... It's All right, programming is massively important. I don't care what anybody tells you. Your program is, massive, is your biggest weapon, okay? If you have a shit program, I don't care what supplements you're taking. I don't care what diet you're eating. If you have a shit program... Your body's going to adapt, and then plateau. That's how it fucking works. We are made to adapt. That's what our bodies try to do. That's why they have this whole concept of muscle confusion, and um, you know, and, and plateaus. And oh, I'm stuck on a plateau because I'm not making progress. Well, your body did its job. Your body adapted to the stresses that you were putting on it, and now you got to change it. So I would say the first thing to look at is your training. You know, what have you been doing? A lot of people get stuck in one way of training. I mean, I did when I first started. I didn't want to train in the muscular endurance rep range. I didn't want to do 12, 15, 20 reps. I didn't or you know, more 15, 20 reps. I didn't see a point in that. I wanted to get bigger. Why would I want my muscles to be able to contract under a load for a longer time? That didn't make sense to me. And I didn't really feel the need to go heavy on deadlifts and heavy on bench and heavy on squats. You know, I just, I want to grow the muscles. I don't need to lift a lot of weight. I just want to get bigger. But that was what held me back because I only trained in this 10 to 12 rep range. I never did anything more than 12 reps and I hardly ever did anything less than 8 reps. And if I did, even if I was doing 8 reps, I wasn't enjoying it. I was just doing, it might have been an ego thing, the reason that I was doing eight reps. I don't even know. But you have to look at first your training. What are you doing? What have you been doing? And what have you not been doing? And then take that thing that you haven't been doing and fucking do it. Like if you've been shying away from lifting heavy because you're afraid of getting bulky if you're a woman, well, I think there's enough information floating around on the internet and on Facebook and on social media. That can show you that lifting heavy is not going to make you bulky. You know, unless you're a genetic freak, it's going to take a fuck ton of work and time for you to get big and bulky as a woman. So, um, look at your training. See what you've been doing. Is there something else that you haven't been doing that you could incorporate? Maybe some exercises that you haven't been doing that you could incorporate? a way of training, adjust your rest times, adjust your rep ranges, adjust the exercises you do. Look at your, look at your program in general. Are you training one body part a week? I I know I've talked about that before and how frequency is so important. You know, If you really want to build your chest, you shouldn't just do chest on Mondays. You should do chest on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays or Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays and Mondays and Wednesdays. And you notice that there's always a day in between. So you're not going 100% intensity every other day. You're going maybe 100% intensity. And then maybe you're doing like 65 70% intensity. And then maybe you're doing like 40 45% intensity. But then that next time chest day comes around, you're doing 100% intensity again. So you're working through this range of intensity and implementing enough frequency to continue to send a signal that hey, there's a lot of stress on this chest, we better fucking build it. So, I would also look at that. You know, is your program the best that it can be? You know, not necessarily with what how you've been training, but how it's all plotted out. Are you training enough each week to continue to make progress? You never know. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode of Drive with Woody Fit. I'm your host Nate Woods. And I will see you next time when we all get together and do a show.